none of the problems that you have as an entrepreneur, unfortunately, are new. Uh, you know, there entrepreneurs have been around for hundreds of years, and and there's no problem that somebody else probably hasn't solved better than you previously. Biz Women Rock. We are wrapping up Shark Week. Thank you so much for tuning in to Biz Women Rock. This is the home for hearing really amazing stories from super savvy businesswomen all over the world in all sorts of different industries, solely for the purpose that you can really tune into their journeys, their businesses, their ups, their downs, everything in between, and really be inspired in your own business. Now, all week long, we have been um, celebrating Shark Week here on Biz Women Rock. And what that has meant is that we've been highlighting women who have been on Shark Tank, hearing their stories not only about their businesses, but about their Shark Tank experiences. And guess what? You can participate in Shark Week here on Biz Women Rock as well. And the best way to do that is to take a shark selfie. What is that, you ask? Well, that is where you're going to take a selfie uh, of the beautiful, hand-drawn, gorgeous little shark meme picture that I have for you waiting for you on the website. Uh, All you're going to do is take a shark selfie with it. You're going to post it on social media. You're going to hashtag bizwomenrock. You're going to hashtag shark week. You're going to hashtag shark tank uh, and tag me. Just get it out there. I would love to see your shark selfie. This is so much fun. So where do you get your shark, your cool little shark picture? bizwomenrock.com forward slash shark week. It's going to be an awesome way to be able to share these stories of all these phenomenal women who've been on Shark Tank. Um, And today you're going to be blown away because we have Brittany Hodak and Kim Kaup who founded the company Zine Pack. Now, their episode on Shark Tank aired, um, I believe, in April 2015. So it's been fairly recently as as of the time of uh, this episode going live. It's only been a couple of months. Now, what is so fascinating about Brittany and Kim and Zine Pack is that uh, their business literally, like, they didn't have to go on Shark Tank. Like, they were already a three-plus million dollar business when they went on the show. Very quick description of exactly what Zine Pack actually is. So they create what I'm going to call special customized packages for artists and brands and anyone who has like super fans that they want to deliver something really great to. Uh, For example, let's say it's Katy Perry because that has definitely been one of their clients. Um, Say Katy Perry is coming out with a new CD or say she wants to do something really special for her super fans. She calls Zine Pack and says, help me create something cool and customized. And, um, And then they do something that is like... You know, just one example is like, okay, this cool little um, booklet that has a bunch of behind the scenes photos in it, some stories about the artist, uh, maybe some personalized videos or something like that that just makes it cool and just out of this world. So that's not just a CD or it's not just whatever the artist is delivering, but it's something really customized and cool. Now, they, this has been so mind-blowing. I'm going to list off just a few of their clients because you're going to know every single one, and I pretty much know their entire uh, client list as you would as well. Um, Maroon 5, George Strait, Taylor Swift, Kenny Chesney, 
Katy Perry, like I mentioned, Selena Gomez, um, they have just done these really cool things for so many different uh, artists. It's been fantastic. They are only a four-year-old company. They've been around since 2011, and they are projected to be in the four to five million dollars in revenue at the end of 2015. So, um, I mean, this company has just grown incredibly in the past four years. So we're going to hear all about uh, what they do, what it's all about, how their business works. Very fascinating. And then we're absolutely going to hear about their Shark Tank experience. Um, Really interesting thing that happened once they got the deal. And I'm not going to give it away on what it is, but you got to wait for it because it's really, really interesting. So are you ready? All right. Let's have at it with Brittany and Kim. Brittany, Kim, what is going on, ladies? Thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, thanks so much for having us. Excited to be here. Oh, I'm excited that you guys are on. I have both of you here. What an awesome, awesome uh, pleasure that is for me to have you both here. Um, You guys are coming from New York. And um, you have created a super cool company in Zine Pack. And I have to tell you that when I was first starting to do my research, it was just like, okay, uh, um, you know, like how, how does this all work? Why is this so... Why is this such a big deal? Because I kept seeing about like the massive growth that you guys have had. And I got to tell you, from somebody who runs a community and somebody who sees sort of like super fan and, you know, people who really love bonding with brands and with people, I am in love with what you do. And I think it's so super cool. So um, before we, I, I always like to start a little bit about kind of the origin story, but can you just explain exactly what Zine Pack really is and kind of give everyone that idea first? Sure. This is Kim. Um, so Zine Pack is essentially um, a company that Brittany and I started that really specializes in creating awesome and engaging experiences for super fans, specifically around content to help them feel more connected to the celebrities or to the brand or to the movie or to the TV show that they absolutely love. So whether that's behind the scenes information you never knew or photos you never saw before or fun facts about the making of, we help fans connect to these properties in a way that they haven't ever before. How in the world did you guys come up with this idea in the first place, Brittany? This was an idea that started to form as an idea when I was in college. I was working for a music distribution company and at the time everybody was freaking out because people were downloading mostly illegally downloading music at that (laughs) point and as people were looking for ways to slow that down and, and stop the decline of the physical product I said well why don't why don't you just make a physical product that people would want to own? If there was something better about physical music than digital music, people would want to have it in their collection. So that was really the, the the spark of the idea. And over the course of a few years, that idea became Zine Pack. Wow. Okay. So I'm always I'm always you know very aware that like between from idea to like actually having product and actually making things work and getting your first dollar from it. There's a heck of a lot of stuff that has to happen from there. So talk a little bit about how you two first met and how Zine Pack really ended up coming into play between the two of you. Yeah, this is Kim. Brittany and I met at an ad agency um, here in New York, and it was someplace that was 
um, probably not the best in terms of letting us kind of unleash all of the creative ideas that we had stirring around in our brains. So we met in October of 2010, and we started Zine Pack in January of 2011. So it was kind of a love at first sight in terms <laughs> of um, meeting and then sparking and then birthing uh, Zine Pack, our, our very lovable bouncing baby who is now a little over four years old. So we've graduated into like toddler status. Um, <laughs> but yes, in, in the very beginning, um, like you said, there's there's a lot to go into it. And very much like a crying baby, it requires 24-hour care. And, you know, you can't turn around and leave it for, for a second. Kim, I got to tell you, that is the sweetest way that I've ever heard anyone describe that their old job was boring as hell. That's really the <laughs> nicest way. <laughs> so. <laughs> so you guys really came together and all of a sudden, you know, kind of doing your jobs, doing your thing, but came together and we're like, oh my God, this is such a great idea. We got to do this. So you were totally sparking each other up. Um, big question here. And one of the things that really baffles my mind is that these are not small things. Like this is not this little widget that you're creating that now you could do mass production of. Like it's a, it's a very in-depth, very personal, very customized product for each of your clients and for each of their super fans. So talk, talk a little bit, um, Brittany, if you talk a little bit about how, like, how do you really start that process in the first place? I mean, how do you how do you get something for, um, you know, Selena Gomez, for example, I, I, you know, I know that you guys have done stuff with her, like, how do you figure out what she wants, what the super fan is going to get how to mass produce it and what that creative thing is? Great question. So we love targeting the super fans because they're so fun and it gives us the opportunity to make all of our products very, very, very different. So to answer the first part of your question, we knew that we needed a really strong partner out of the gate. And because this was an idea that had been, you know, brewing for so many years, I had already had some preliminary conversations with Walmart, who was a client of mine in my first job after college, saying, I, I have this idea. I think this could be really cool. So we knew that they were at least initially somewhat warm to this idea. So when we made the decision to do Zine Pack as a, as a full-time job in a real company, the first phone conversation that we had was with Walmart. And we said, are you serious about this product? are you in? If we do this, will you buy this product from us? And the buyer at Walmart said, yes, absolutely. I think it's a great product and I'm happy to do what I can to help. So wow. at that point, like any entrepreneur, we called every client that we could think of and every potential partner we could think of and said, hey, Walmart wants to buy this product. You should work with us to make this product. <laughs> and I love it the W word, like it was going out of style. And that's really how we got people to take our phone calls for the for the first few months. Like who were some of the first people that you called? Because and I just want to take a second and please add to this list if you if you want to, because the list of your clients, I, I mean, I know every single person or entity that is on your client list. We're talking Maroon 5, George Strait, Taylor Swift. Kenny Chesney, Katy Perry, and that's like even just a small portion of them. So these are not small names. I mean, you made sure from the get-go that you chose clients, that you chose musicians or artists or what have you that you knew would have super fans, but those are not easy people to get to. So what were some of your strategies to get in? I mean, other than dropping the W word, like how did you really actually get in touch with these folks and actually secure these deals? It's a whole lot of hustle. 
And we like to say that if you if you don't like to hustle, then don't be an entrepreneur because your life is going to become about calling people that you don't know and saying, hi, I have this thing and I want to work with you and calling all of your friends and your existing clients and saying, hey, I see our third degree connection on LinkedIn <laughs> with this person and I need to get to them. So I need your help. And it's really just a whole lot of networking for, for a long time at the beginning of any startup. Who was the very first client that you landed? I think for us too, it's it's great to know. I mean, all these clients that you named were really in our second and third years. That, well, Selena was towards the end of the first year, but but the first year was really us, you know, banging on doors, trying to get people to listen to us and not think we were, you know, crazy kids. Um, so I, it was really to kind of put it in perspective, we did six projects in our first year in 2011 mm -hmm. and in 2012 we did 24. So wow. kind of getting those first couple dominoes was really painful, um, and, and a lot of no's, but then once we kind of got the dominoes falling down, the rest came very quickly. So for us, it was really about getting those first, first, first people to take a chance on us. Right. How did you guys come up with pricing and, and, ha and has that evolved over all these years? Like who, who's paying for this and, and what's the pricing package? Great question. Every project is a little bit different because what we're doing is so custom. So sometimes a client comes to us and they want 500 zine packs for a special event. And sometimes we're making a quarter of a million. So it's really different. And also sometimes there are sponsors involved. Sometimes there aren't. And it took us about two and a half years before we really got to a point of feeling comfortable with our pricing. And that's something that I think of a lot of entrepreneurs and, and perhaps particularly female entrepreneurs struggle with is pricing yourself at your value because a lot of times the fear is oh if it's too much money they might say no so I'm going to discount my worth or I'm going to take less than I would take if I were working for an agency mm -hmm. but we tried to be very cautious from the start that we wanted to make sure we were setting our pricing not just at what we needed to sustain our expenses when it was the two of us working from our living rooms but also something that would be sustainable as we started to incur expenses for things like payroll and office space and the other necessities that you need to operate a business day in and day out. How long did it take you guys to bring on uh, somebody else as a part of your team? Um, we were lucky enough to have our creative director, Abby, kind of with us from the beginning in terms of starting as a freelance basis and as the uh, workload grew and grew and grew, uh, slowly growing with us. So first, you know, working freelance in terms of nights and weekends when she wasn't at her full-time job. And then as Zinepack played a bigger role, um, she told her employer that she had to go part-time. And then eventually we had enough work that she could quit her full-time job. So um, it was a, a long process to, to kind of convince her to, to take that leap with us. Um, in terms of working on ZinePack full-time. But in terms of the rest of our employees, I would say it was about two years before we started hiring um, multiple people to come and help us. Got it. Got it. And now you guys have um, you guys have a, a team of nine, so you're all there working together. You're, making, you're getting everything done. I think you have one person who uh, is in South Carolina. Is that what you said? 
Yes. Okay, gotcha. But everyone else is up there in New York with you. Um, you know, what? what is very curious to me is how the two of you actually work as as co-founders because there's there has to be a beautiful dynamic and kind of a marriage that works really, really well. So how have you guys had to learn how to work well together? Like, like what really works for you? That's a great question. I think a lot of co-founders will tell you it's something that evolves over time. So at the beginning of our relationship, I was the only one with music experience and Kim was the only one with publishing experience. So we kind of divided and conquered that way where I was involved with absolutely every part of anything that had to do with music. And over time, as we've both gotten exposure to the other worlds, we've started to delineate the task a little bit more. But for the first couple of years, um, I was working on anything that Kim wasn't working on and Kim (laughs) was working on anything that I wasn't working on. And that could change back and forth. 12 times during the day it was we like to say it was a lot like juggling there were about (laughs) 20 balls in the air at any given time and four hands so we were just trying to stay one step ahead of catastrophe (laughs) I love that um you know you guys you guys grew really fast you're only four years old and um you have you've definitely grown into a very like a heavy multi-million dollar business already um, you know, there are so many different struggles and stuff that you can go through, like getting that big. So how have you guys managed to scale all of these years? Like name maybe just like one or two things that have really helped you actually scale the business and, and continue to like have exponential growth. That's a great question. I think two things that helped us scale, um, one, and I I can't repeat it enough, and I know I speak for Brittany and I when I say this, is really finding a community of other entrepreneurs, um, having that sounding board to, to scan, you know, to be able to scale and email other people and say like, hey guys, I need help. Um, hiring my first person or I need help creating a company handbook or I need help finding an office space. You know, none of the problems that you have as an entrepreneur, unfortunately, are new. Uh, you know, entrepreneurs have been around for hundreds of years and, and there's no problem that somebody else probably hasn't solved better than you previously. So we joined a couple different organizations as our business continued to grow. The first one being Count Me In, which is a women's specific program to help females get to a million dollars in revenue. We were in that for about a year and a half before um, we kind of grew out of it uh, in terms of just as we grew larger and larger, it didn't make sense. So now we're in something called the Young Entrepreneurship Council, Mm -hmm. which is a nationwide program of entrepreneurs who all have businesses that are over a million dollars, but who are also under the age of 40. So really our peer group. And I would think that um, has helped us scale really well in terms of being able to crowdsource a lot of our problems and struggles and potholes that we're going through. Uh, I think another thing that has really helped us to scale in a, in a creative and smart way is leaning on our CPA, leaning on our lawyers, leaning on um, our bankers, people who help us, you know, we really think that those 
our experts in their field and there's no sense in us um, trying to learn what they do um, but really bring them into our kind of inner circle and say here are the problems that we're having here are some struggles do you have any advice from your own perspective um, a lot of people treat uh, you know their CPA for example as kind of an outside vendor uh, we really bring them in and you know try to meet with our CPA at least once a quarter to get his opinion on other parts of our business and he works with companies like ours all the time. That's a great idea. I love that idea. Um, so you guys had done, you know, so well in building this business for so many years. And then at some point you decided, hey, let's go into Shark Tank. How did that come about? Why Why did you end up doing that? Um, what kind of position were you in that, that you guys were really seeking out to get onto Shark Tank and to be able to get investment? This is Brittany. We were both big fans of the show, huge Shark Tank fans, and we got a phone call one day from a casting director who said, hey, you should really come be on Shark Tank. And he read about Scene Pack because we were fortunate enough to be on Inc. Magazine's 35 Under 35 list last year, and of the 35 companies who made the list, we were the only one that was self-funded. So they wow. had this little graphic showing everybody's money that they raised, and I think it was something like $3 million to $350 million was the range of the other 34 companies. And yeah. then there was us, no money raised. So a producer <laughs> called and said, hey, have you thought about raising any money? And we said, you know, we've definitely talked a lot about it. We're ready to really grow and expand faster than we've been able to do bootstrapping. So yeah, we'd love to come on the show. It sounds like a great idea because for an entrepreneur, being on Shark Tank is kind of like having a Super Bowl commercial. It's it's a game changer. It's a huge, huge, huge audience that, you know, in a matter of minutes is going to know about your brand and your product. So we were very, very pleased when they called us and offered us the great opportunity. That is so cool. What did you guys do to prepare to be on the show? I mean, obviously you had to work on your pitch, but, you know, how did you decide what that was going to be? How did you make sure you weren't going to have any nerves? Like, what kind of preparations did you really do? Well, there were lots. <laughs> um, <laughs> we definitely practiced tons and tons. And we also kind of did our research. We really treated it like a like you would a big pitch presentation. You know, you would never walk into a meeting without Googling the person first. We made sure to read any article we could find that was written about Shark Tank, whether that was on Forbes, whether that was at the Wall Street Journal, whether that was on Inc. We read any article that we could find, and then we downloaded all the past seasons and watched them diligently, writing down questions that got asked multiple times, writing down questions that we hadn't even thought of before. And we probably had a bank of over 100 questions that we had written down, and we had formulated answers to each of those questions. So we kind of knew exactly how we were going to attack any sort of curveball that they threw at us while we were in the tank. Got it. So while you were in there, how long did you end up being in there? Because I know we only see a, a small portion of it. And what was one of the most difficult parts for you during your whole time there? We filmed for almost an hour. So the eight minutes that you saw on TV or that people can watch online was a really good representation of how the conversation went. We were really pleased and impressed that they were able to show it so accurately and portray it so realistically, even though they were only showing about 10% of what we filmed. 
probably the most challenging part was I mean, we had no idea what to expect when you when you see on TV walking through those double doors and and seeing the sharks for the first time. That's the first time that you see the panel. So they had no idea who we were. We didn't get to go like, you know, talk to them or look at them beforehand. It's not like you're mingling in a room somewhere, right? Yeah, it's not like we're like having drinks together before we film <laughs> or after. Like when you walk out, that's the last time you see them. Wow. So we we had anticipated that we would give the little introduction that you have that's, you know, the, the entrepreneurs go out and they have something that's memorized. It's about a minute and a half long. And we had anticipated after that it would kind of go into a slow conversation. What we weren't expecting was that the second we finished talking, all five of them immediately started talking to us at the same time. And it was a little bit disorienting to be standing there looking at people that you watch on TV and already feeling a little bit like you were inside of your TV. Like it was definitely like a weird scenario for, for a second to feel like you were in a TV set and then have, all of them talking to you at exactly the same time. So I think we were a bit taken off guard for about 15 seconds until we regained our composure and said, okay, we're if they're all going to talk at the same time, we're going to just have to answer them as quickly as we can and move on to the next. <laughs> I love that. Now, did you guys decide beforehand, like, who was going to answer like what type of questions? So you were choreographed in that way? Or did you just say, hey, we're going to do this organically according to whatever happens to come up? I'm sure we had a plan, but again, when five people start screaming at you all at once, any sort of plan you had really goes out the window. <laughs> kind of what our plan became, um, we didn't talk about this, but what sort of happened naturally about five minutes in was we were each handling the ones on our side. So since there were five of them and two of us, we were kind of splitting Kevin, who was in the middle, and then I was handling Robert and Lori, and Kim was handling Mark and... Uh, Damon and that way we could kind of like make eye contact with each one of them and say great question please hold on while I answer Lori's <laughs> well that's a great point but just let me finish what I was saying to Damon that is hilarious I love that um so right away one of the things that I saw was that um Mr. Wonderful kind of gave you a little bit of hell for having one major client, which is Walmart. Um, what did that make you guys and even like into, you know, now the current times, did that make you really think about things or are you even more solid in sort of what you were saying to him, which was like, hey, this is the largest retailer that, you know, that we're going to have. So talk a little bit about what your positioning is on that now and um, and how, and what you guys really feel about that. That's a really great question. We had been trying to explain to Kevin that there are a couple of different sides to what we do. One product line, if you will, will the namesake product, Zine Pack, that we launched our company with, is all about repackaging a CD in a way that is relevant for today. That is the product line that we have exclusively with Walmart. We've done about $30 million in retail sales with them on that product. Wow. And our argument as to why that was the right move and why we still believe that's the right thing to do is because Walmart sells more physical music product than all of the other retailers combined. It's absolutely the channel for us to be at. But at the same time, we do lots and lots of other stuff outside of retail. And most of those 
opportunities are not exclusively with one partner. So when we're working with a movie studio to do a really cool giveaway for fans and theaters, or we're helping an artist launch their tour or launch their fan club, those are products that fans can find at lots and lots of different places. So we feel very confident that having the two distinctive distribution models for the different types of stuff that we do has allowed us to both have a really cool exclusive product that fans know where to find and also have limitless opportunities to do really cool stuff for people who maybe aren't looking to to buy one of our traditional products in a Walmart store. Right. Now, because you have that exclusive, or let's say Walmart and you have that exclusive deal, do you have any sort of guarantee with them that they'll like any sort of contract, like, you know, an X amount of a year's type of a contract? Is there any sort of you know, um, sort of, uh, I guess, security on your end that Walmart is giving to you guys? Uh, Brittany, I'll ask you. There is. And it's been a really great relationship with Walmart. They, from the beginning, stepped up and said, we're going to be a partner, not only to help keep you where you're at, but also to help you grow. And they have an amazing initiative to help buoy other women-owned businesses and are, are strong believers in women-owned businesses and also in products that are made in the USA. So we've been really, really happy with our Walmart partnership because the other thing that is a little bit unusual, a lot of people come up with a product and then they replenish that product, right? So they create one thing and then they take reorders. We're essentially launching a brand new product every time we put a release out. Wow. So we're not dealing with a reorder. It's, okay, we had a lot of success with this Luke Bryan project. Our next project that comes out for R5 has nothing to do with Luke Bryan. And the fans who bought Luke Bryan don't care about this other band. So having that relationship with a retailer who believes in our configuration makes it a lot easier than if we were trying to start from square one with every single one of these new products that are all targeting very diverse fandoms. Hmm. That's really interesting. Have you guys ever had a massive fail? Have you ever put out something that just did not go over at all? That's a great question. Um, I think for us, it was very much in the beginning, figuring out where where we wanted to be. Um, one of the first things that Brittany and I kind of diverged on, uh, we did a generic kids keep Easter release. So there were no celebrities involved. There was no sort of um, star power. It was really generic Easter songs and it was a fun activity book with coloring sheets and stickers and all that sort of stuff for kids. And we didn't really think through what the marketing would look like. We didn't really think through a lot of the kind of logistics because usually with our big superstar releases, when you're talking about a Katy Perry, um, you know, or a Guardians of the Galaxy, um, they really help get the word out. But with the generic release, there wasn't that star power to get the word out. So it was kind of one of our first flops, and we had it about a year into the business, so it was relatively um, kind of a shaky territory. Right. Uh, but I think it was good for us to have a first fail. Uh, we haven't made the same mistake twice, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so I think it's, you know, we tried to take it in stride and say, uh, you know, it was definitely, I think we ended up losing, uh, you know, 30 or 40 grand on the project, which Ooh. at the time for a startup is pretty, pretty Huge. devastating. Yeah. Um, so it was definitely not a small mistake, but we look back now and say, at least we yeah. made the mistake yeah. then, as opposed to making the mistake at a hundred grand right. or 200 grand. So you right. know what I mean? So that would be a lot worse. Wow. 
So you guys ended up uh, being able to secure a deal with Lori and Robert. It was uh, $725,000 for 17.5%. Why did you end up um, wanting that deal? Like, What was so great about that deal that you guys were like, yes, this is really what we want? That's a great question. We knew that the Sharks all individually could bring a lot of star power to our team. So when Robert and Lori teamed up on the show, we just thought, oh, two Sharks are better than one. And to be <laughs> totally honest, I think if any of the two Sharks had teamed up, we would have we would have thought, oh, great. Like, let's work with the two that are together because we had the the opinion that two are better than one. We, I mean, we really did work. We, we went into the show very prepared, knowing statistically the odds that we had of, of airing on the show if we did a deal versus if we didn't do a deal. And we also knew that, you know, everybody on the panel is a superstar. Everybody on the panel has been tremendously successful in the world of business. So they all have very impressive pedigrees and strengths and Rolodexes. So to have any two of them together just seemed like it was too good to pass up. Two is better than one. I love that. Um, So I'm always curious to know, like, what really happens after the tank? So um, you got this deal. Everyone's happy. Yay, yay. What happened afterwards? Yeah, kind of what happens behind the scenes. Yeah. they take you off set, um, so you leave kind of the, if, if any of your listeners are unaware, you know, those sound stages are massive out there in Culver City. Um, they're, they're basically like giant warehouses that they build the sets within within the sound stage. So we were moved from one sound stage to another sound stage where they had a very similar room built out, and that's where we did the little interview that you see at the end of the episode, mm-hmm. where it's, you know, anywhere from two or three sentences with the entrepreneur talking talking about what happened once they walked out. So immediately after after you leave the tank, you're kind of whisked away in a golf cart to this second location where you film, um, you know, 10 to 15 minutes of uh, the producers continuing to ask you questions. And then there's a kind of debriefing period where, you know, you can kind of relax in a sort of green room setting because you could be at that point very emotional depending on how your pitch went, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, to kind of calm down and and soak it in if it's an enjoyable experience um, (laughs) or wallow if it wasn't so much. And you stay on set for about another hour or two, and it's really funny because then you leave. And once you leave, what you what you really don't realize is because you're under such hard NDA contracts where you really can't talk about it, um, that's also kind of the last time you really get to talk to other people about the experience. Wow. Uh, your episode airs. So it's not something that we realized at the time, but I think until our we could talk about our episode airing, it was really the last time we were able to speak about it so freely. Um, because even when Brittany and I wanted to talk about it with each other, um, you know, we would put things on our calendars that we would make up things. So we would say <laughs> like, you know, uh, regroup to talk about new zoo initiative or we would you know, make up these crazy things because we didn't even want to risk putting in our calendars um, Shark Tank right. because obviously when you're out at meetings with people and somebody leaves their cell phone on the table and a little reminder pops up, you know, we didn't want to take any chances where somebody could see the name Shark Tank in relation to us. 
that's got to be so hard to be so excited, especially because you guys, you know, had gotten the deal, so excited about it, talking about it, all that sort of stuff. I mean, thank God that you had the two of you to be able to, you know, mastermind that back and forth, but not being able to share that with anyone else would be so hard. So, but what kind of paperwork really happens? Like, while you're in that green room, do they come and have you sign anything? Or is it literally like, okay, go home, we'll be in touch? It's like, go home, we'll be in touch. There was a ton of paperwork that we had to do before appearing on the show, not just the contract for the show itself, but also, you know, showing financials and proving that you are paying taxes and all of the other things that are prerequisites for being part of the show. So they already had a lot of information. And then after we filmed, we were contacted by representatives for both of our sharks with the paperwork that was specific to the deal. Got it. So now the real question is, is what happens? Like, are you ever talking to Robert and Lori? Or are you talking just to their representatives? And then, you know, obviously, I know that you kind of start doing all this like major or they do anyway, start doing major due diligence. So what was your process like with them and with interacting with them and sort of finalizing all those details? And what happened? Lori was really hands-on throughout the due diligence period. Robert, we didn't speak with. Um, we we were working with the team of people around Robert because he was he was very busy being on Dancing with the Stars and pursuing <laughs> all of his other um, fun adventures. Got it. So you guys were kind of like hashing all that stuff out. So um, now um, you let me know beforehand that you it it actually ended up coming to pass that you guys did not follow through with the deal. Do you want to talk a little bit about why that happened, Brittany? Sure. Um, So a lot of the deals that you see on TV don't necessarily go through in the end. And we like to say, you know, you wouldn't marry somebody after a first date. And Shark Tank is a little bit like a first date. You're meeting them for the first time. You're trying to get as much information about them and give them as much information about you in a really short period of time. And then after the fact is when you really start to look at, you know, the deal closely and, and the value that, that each side can provide to the other side and whether or not it's the right fit. And in doing all of that due diligence, we kind of mutually decided that while we have enormous respect for both of the Sharks and while they remain big fans of us and our business, it just wasn't the right partnership for all of us at that time. So when you say mutually, are you talking about um, you and Kim kind of mutually deciding, hey, this isn't going to work, so we're going to tell them no? Or are you talking about, you know, Robert, Lori, and you guys as three different parties all sort of saying, eh, this probably isn't the right thing? Um, and like everybody mutually together. And we really can't talk that much about it yeah. because we have NDAs on, on both sides. And, um, you know, the, the thing for us that was really important was to make sure that we all parted on really good terms good. because we have so much respect for them and vice versa that um, we were really happy that we were able to learn a ton. They were able to, to learn a lot about us and hopefully we'll all get to work together in the future. Love it. Now, what has happened uh, as part of the Shark Tank effect with you guys? Like what kind of press have you gotten? What kind of um, have there been more stars and artists that have come to you? Uh, you know, what's been happening with traffic to you guys? Like what what has been like the impact and the major impacts that have really, you know, touched your business after Shark Tank? Kim, I'll ask you that. 
Yeah, I mean, Shark Tank is definitely an entrepreneur's Super Bowl. You know what I mean? It's a Super Bowl spot. It's seven minutes on primetime television with eight million viewers. So our website analytics were out of control. You know, hundreds of thousands of hits per minute. It was it was pretty incredible to watch the numbers, and it was a really great thing for us to be able to you know, touch all those different people so quickly. Um, obviously, I'm, you know, big believers in that Brittany and I can do anything that we set our minds to. And I know on the show, we talked about growing into other verticals like sports and films. And I know that we can do that on our own. But it was really nice to have 8 million people watching us also knowing that. Mm -hmm. So we got tons of great emails in from sports teams and movie studios um, who saw us on the show and said, hey, I saw you talking about sports. I'm from a sports team. What do you guys want to do? What do you think you can do for us? Um, so that was a really awesome kind of immediate reaction to the show. And um, it's funny, we're still getting emails in from people. I saw somebody last week, we had lunch, and they actually said to me, I'm embarrassed to say this to you, but I actually just watched the episode last night. It's been sitting on my DVR forever, <laughs> and I just haven't gotten a chance to watch it. So it's funny because we're still seeing people email in or, or comment on Facebook or write an email to us and say, oh my God, I just finished watching the show. So we don't, we try not to make them feel bad considering our episode aired, you know, two months ago, <laughs> um, but you know, better, better that it's safe and sound on your DVR and that you watch it at some point as opposed to not watching it at all. <laughs> that is hilarious. I love that. So after all of this has, you know, sort of calmed down, you guys are, uh, you know, still continuing to grow. You're still out there experimenting, trying new verticals, tr figuring stuff out. Um, how would you say, uh, and I would love an answer from each of you, Brittany, how would you say that you have most evolved as a businesswoman over these past four years? Wow, that's a really great question and kind of hard to answer. Um, <laughs> I would say, you know, it's kind of like what I would imagine it would be like to have a kid. If you see your kid every single day, you don't necessarily see the change because you're with them every single day. Right. But then when you step back and you look at it from afar, you think, wow, what was happening four years ago is nothing like what's happening today. And you kind of start to appreciate the growth. And I always say to people who are considering entrepreneurship, just do it because you're going to learn so much more and, and become so much richer as a person than if you were just working at a job nine to five somewhere for, for somebody else. I would say probably the biggest way that I've evolved is that I am much more I, I ask for help much more quickly now. I am a natural problem solver and I'm always trying to figure things out on my own. And while that's probably part of what led me to a career of entrepreneurship, I appreciate how much better it is to just go to somebody who is smarter than you or wiser than you or more experienced than you and ask them for help because what might take you a month to figure out on your own somebody else can explain to you in 45 minutes over coffee so asking for help is, is definitely not a sign of weakness it's a sign that you recognize your own limitations and, and want to outgrow those limitations and become even smarter and even stronger so I always help it for people if you haven't asked somebody for help today, you've missed an opportunity. Mm. And that's probably the way I've grown the most over the past four years is coming to that, coming to that realization and putting it into action in my own life. 
Love that. Great, great piece of advice. Um, Kim, how about you? How have you most evolved as an entrepreneur over all these years? Um, I mean, there's a million ways, and I think it's something that's, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, it's kind of never over. (laughs) The work work on yourself never ends until you die. Um, So I I think one of the things I've definitely gotten much better about over the years is just really knowing my own limitations, and I think that's something that's true of most women. We're, We're very inclined to say yes. Uh, most women kind of have this, you know, super mom or superhero complex of like, I can get the groceries and take the kids and run these six errands and then be home for dinner and cook and clean and make my best friend's party. Um, you know, you try to be too many things to too many people. And I think really having a business and learning when to say no has been something that I've gotten better about over the past couple of years, even if I have to do it by force. So um, to give you an example, I'll put, I'll block off time in my schedule that says class. Uh, for my exercise class, or I'll block out at night my schedule that says, you know, doing nothing tonight. Because if not, (laughs) what happens is, you know, inevitably somebody asks for help with something, or can you join this charity board to help me plan this dinner, or can you help me set up for a birthday party, or can you do this? And you want to say yes to so many things that you really kind of forget about the most important thing, and that's taking care of yourself first, kind of like those airplane things that say you put the mask on yourself before helping other people, Um, you know, and I think it's something that I continue to work on but in the last four years especially as zine pack gets bigger and greater and meaner and leaner um really having to take care of myself as a as a founder first i love love that Brittany, Kim, I can't thank you guys enough for being here, for sharing your story, and just for being rock solid entrepreneurs i just i love it thank you so much for being here yeah thank you so much for the invitation it was so fun Remember to go take your shark selfie and go post it on Facebook and Twitter. And you can do that at bizwomenrock.com forward slash shark week. This is your last day to do it. Oh, man. That was an awesome conversation. Uh, Okay, so major takeaways. There were three major takeaways for me. Number one, Kim mentioned actually blocking quote unquote, doing nothing on your calendar and sticking to it. I loved that. Such a great way to be able to uh, make sure you get you time and take care of yourself. Um, And they talked about having a community of other entrepreneurs. You know that I am a huge fan of that, not only because that's what we do within the Biz Women Rock community, um, but because I have another business doing that offline as well uh, here in Tampa. And I'm just such a big believer that when you put yourself around other like-minded people, other entrepreneurs, other people who get what it's like to run a company, there's always opportunities to learn from each other and your learning curve really shortens. Huge, huge fan of that. And then I loved what Brittany had to say about how they treat their vendors, like their CPA, for example, that they actually, they don't just sort of treat them as somebody who just does this work for them and they're sort of separated from the company, but they are very proactive about bringing their vendors in, strategizing with them on a quarterly basis so that they know know not only where they are, but how they're trending, where they want to go, some ideas that they have. Brilliant. Like I was inspired and now I got to go, you know, schedule something with my CPA. (laughs) So um, anyway, those were three that I thought were brilliant. Uh, Brittany and Kim were so much fun. 
so savvy and I just really appreciated them being here. Hope you got something really great out of it. So this interview today wraps up our entire week of Shark Week featuring women of Shark Tank. Um, There is going to be a separate wrap-up show which uh, should be available right away. So make sure that you see that and uh, you take a listen and just hear just a couple of thoughts about, you know, all of these women, how it all went, all that fun stuff, okay? I hope you had an incredible time listening to these stories. I hope you had a lot of fun doing shark selfies and being able to see literally the hundreds and hundreds of women all over the world who are here locking shields with you and are in business and, you know, really want to connect with other businesswomen. That's really why we do this, just to make sure that this community is connected. So thank you for participating. It's been so much fun. You have the rest of the day today to be able to post can't wait to see what you continue posting and um, I just love you I really appreciate you and I'm so glad that you're here that you're part of this community that you're a listener of the show Um, I never take you for granted I just love you I think I already said that (laughs) anyway all right have an awesome day I'll see you later 